You are listening to the message by Antioch Centre for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. This topic, let's get into it, the Antichrist. I want to start by reading a scripture. Matthew chapter 24, 24 says, For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. For me, I think this is perhaps one of the most disturbing passages of Scripture in the Bible. How many have ever read this and were frightened? Because we are the elect, right? That's you, that's me. God has chosen us. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation separated for God. He predestined us before the foundation of the earth. He knew and chose and has selected us like you pick fruit from a market. He has picked us out and we're so grateful for that. We are the elect. But this passage is Jesus warning us about the possibility of false prophets being able to perform signs and wonders and to do exploits so convincing that even we, God's people, can be deceived. And this is really a preface for Antichrist. And this is what Jesus was talking about. The 24th chapter of Matthew is kind of like a mini book of Revelations where he goes through the end times, what's going to take place. In fact, it's in that chapter in the beginning that he makes the statement and says that, you see all these beautiful buildings here in Jerusalem? Not one stone is going to be left upon another. They're all coming down. And the disciples later asked him, will you tell us when will this be? And so he began to speak in that chapter about the events that would lead up to that time that all things would come to an end. And in that moment, he spoke also of false prophets and the great false prophet, which we know as the Antichrist. So this means that we have to be very careful. We need to be sure that the word of God is our source. I'm convinced that the delusion and deception of Antichrist will be empowered by one simple thing. If he can fool the elect, I guarantee you it is simply because of their ignorance of the Word of God and their lack of connection with the Spirit of God that we'll see later. I like what um, Jesus said when he found believers in error, not really believers, but the Pharisees that were talking to him. And he says, you're in error because of two things. He said, because you know not the scriptures nor the power of God. The two things that will bring us into a deceptive place or a place that we can easily be deceived is ignorance of God's word and what it says. And secondly, a lack of discerning of the power of God. That's a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because as John says, we'll see in a moment, you have an unction from the Holy One. You don't have to worry about this. But what if you don't know the scriptures? What if you're happy just to go to church and hang out and everything's fine and you don't really go after the passages in the Bible? And I have found recently in these years an alarming disinterest in scripture memorization, the acquisition of scriptures. Nobody's memorized. When I was just first saved, I was memorizing chapters. I've memorized many chapters of the Bible and everybody was doing it. It was kind of a trend. And then later a wave of... of Complaints about that being a little legalistic came up. 
And you know, it's not by works. And a lot of things I think the devil has said, because as he's moving toward the end, one of the first things he's trying to do is to cause the church to move into ignorance. And little by little, new doctrines are coming out, new concepts and ideas that are rather ambiguous to the Bible, but the people, people of God, the people in the churches have no idea because they don't really have anything inside of themselves to compare it with. So as a result, whatever new doctrine comes up, whatever strange spiritual tangent comes along, and you say, well, I would know because these people are anointed. Look, even by saying what we call the anointing, the manifestation of the Spirit, there are facsimiles. And this is exactly what Antichrist, his power will be that, to be able to manifest signs and wonders and do miracles. So as we get into this, let's start with that as a preface, that even the very elect can be fooled, and we need to be ready. And when I was 17 years old, just after receiving Jesus, uh, one of the first things I did was I read the book of Revelation. Now, you know, a brand new believer should not be hanging out in the book of Revelation. Really, you need the book of John, right? You need the Gospels. But I was so hungry for those concepts and those ideas, that I read the book of Revelation every day for one month entirely in my lunch break and did not eat lunch. I was 17, and when I went into 18 years of age, just received Jesus, and for some reason, I was absolutely fascinated with the theme of the end. I say some reason, but I have one of the reasons. Honestly, before I met Jesus, I was very interested in in supernatural phenomena. I was interested in, in many things. I, I was interested in concepts of what may be ghosts. I'm trying to find out where my buzzing is coming from. Stop buzzing. Okay, that's a little bit. I, I was interested in the Loch Ness Monster. I was interested in UFOs. I was interested in all kinds of conspiracy theories. I was interested in Nostradamus. How many of you ever heard of Nostradamus? He wrote quatrains they're called and these were poetry a type of poetry rather encrypted but it turned out a lot of the things eerily became accurate seemingly accurate prophecies or predictions of future events and one of the things that he uh, at least what people who studied his writings came up with was that he predicted the antichrist and that he predicted in fact three antichrists and that one each one would be worse than the last. Well, before I even knew Jesus, I watched a show. There was a documentary on television when I was about 15 years of age. And it so scared me that that time was coming. They had graphic images of people eating each other, you know, zombie apocalypse in the tribulation. And it talked about it. It wasn't a very biblical perspective, but it still, to me, frightened me deeply. How many of you are frightened by these concepts of the great tribulation and terror on the earth? And of course, those are things that cause us to fear. But for me, that is what drove me into the arms of Christ. I had one of my disciples I was talking to the other day. I was teaching. They said, primarily, I do what I do for God and I believe in him because I'm afraid. And I said, explain that more deeply. He says, because I'm afraid to go to hell. And I said, that, that is a very healthy thing. It's because the Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we don't camp out and live in that fear forever, but it's a good start. And from there, we can grow. And that's exactly how I got saved. And the, the Lord started talking to me. And that's why in my first 
two weeks, first three weeks, first month of salvation, I read the book of Revelation every single day. I practically memorized it. I can, I can quote more or less what it says from chapter 1 all the way to the end. Uh, I don't always use it in common preaching. It doesn't have a daily application. If you come to me and you have a headache, I can't really use Revelation to help you, or you have you know, issues on your job. But it is a subject that we need to be aware of, especially because I think we are approaching the end times. There's another thing that is very important, too, that will protect us. It says, as the days become evil, some will start to form a custom of no longer assembling themselves together. The writer of Hebrews says, be careful of that. Because if we're separated from the body of Christ, we're in danger. So that's the third thing in my book. If we want to be safe from the concept of Antichrist as we learn it, we need to uh, know the Word of God. First, above everything else, we need to know the power of God. And we need to be integrated into the body of Christ. You know, we are the vine, he's, we are the branches, he's the vine, and we need to stay connected to that at all times. And so, as we turn to the Bible, I want us to learn and grow in our knowledge of the end times, and especially uh, the deceptions of the Antichrist that we're going to examine here. And there's actually five things about the Antichrist we're going to look at tonight. And each of these start with the letter D, so that uh, you can remember them. And I'll tell you straight up front before we even get into it, we're going to see the definition of Antichrist, the description of Antichrist, the delusion of Antichrist, the desolation of Antichrist, and finally the destiny of Antichrist. Amen? How many of you are interested in this? Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight with hungry hearts. We're going into your word. There's nothing that I'm going to teach here, God, that is not exactly what your word says because that's what we go to to learn. Let the scriptures breathe life into us tonight. Let there be a lamp and a light to our path and our, and our steps. And God, illuminate. Open our minds to the scriptures like Jesus opened the mind of the disciples to the scriptures. So that we can comprehend, so that we can learn, so that we can receive. Let everything we hear from your word tonight go so deeply into us that it cannot come back out. Lord, we receive it as seeds planted in our mind, our heart, and our emotions that will affect our lives as we move forward in our maturity in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are we in agreement? Five things about the Antichrist. Number one, the definition of Antichrist. And we're going to start by reading the letter that John wrote. This is the disciple John that he wrote to the churches. Dear children, he says in verse 18, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now that's interesting to start with. We see the origin of Antichrist, the church. That's a scary thought, isn't it? But if we study the patterns of apostasy... And what it means to know truth, turn away from it. All of the Christian cults that are out there, you get into the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons, etc., on and on and on. All of them had roots, Church of Scientology, etc., etc., all have roots into the original true churches. That something was broken and perverted in a spirit of deception, a spirit of delusion came into people who decided to separate for different ideas, different principles. That's why... Two-thirds of the works of the flesh deal with partisan thought and division. 
because the flesh will always want to break up. And that division is exactly what will breed such things. So, but you, he says, have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. What he's saying was, just like these Antichrists, they were deceived and departed from what they were taught. He's warning the churches, make sure you stay in your first love. Make sure you stay connected. Because there are many doctrines, that there are many voices, many spirits, lying spirits, that will rise and come. And yes, we were talking today briefly over lunch. Someone said, I was curious, is the Antichrist a man or is it actually an institution or a government? Yes, yes, yes. It is a spirit, in theory here, that works from the inside from the church in divides. It's the very spirit of Lucifer as manifested through Judas Iscariot. It is something that is with Christ. See, you can't be an antichrist unless you were with Christ to begin with. And that's what this is saying. Because the Greek word, that's what it means to oppose Christ or to become an apostate to the truth. And that's why he's saying, make sure that, that what you learned and heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. Now, this scripture is often taken out of context. Think, I don't need anybody to tell me anything because the Holy Spirit can teach me everything. That's not the context. Context is that when it comes to people teaching you deceptions, you have the anointing. You will recognize that and you won't sit under it. You won't receive it. You'll get that check in your spirit and know something's wrong because that's the Holy Spirit protecting you have received an anointing you receive from it remains and you do not need anyone to teach you but as his anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real not counterfeit just as it has taught you remain in him so from the very beginning as we define antichrist we see here that antichrist or antichrists as the apostle john teaches speaks more about uh, in fact, John is the one that says more times the word Antichrist than anybody else in the Bible. It's interesting, he's also the guy that wrote the book of Revelation. And it's also interesting that he was also probably the closest human being to Jesus Christ in a physical form that ever walked the earth. I see no other greater intimacy with anyone with Jesus other than John. So John and he were very close. So therefore, this was a personal issue. Anyone turned against his Jesus was a very personal thing to him. And so he was warning us about this Antichrist. And then we're going to get in further into an individual. But here he's speaking. And in fact, Daniel in the Bible is the second place. And in his letters to the churches here, John, calling us children, he felt to warn us about what Antichrist is. And it's from this passage that we derive the definition of Antichrist. So it's also interesting to note that the term phrase Antichrist or the in quotation, the Antichrist did not appear until much later in translations in the Bible. They added the word the. 
it was all originally just antichrist as naming a concept or a spirit like you could say a spirit of lust we don't call it the lust it's a spirit of lust. so antichrist is the same thing now that can fit many different people if you are operating under that spirit and you are in apostasy and you're fighting the very principles of God and against him and even gone as far as something as terrible as blaspheming the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin, well then obviously you're operating in the spirit of Antichrist. So you are an Antichrist. But when we use the word the, it's not used in the Bible like that. That comes from theologians who made some decisions to put this brand name. And that you need to know from the onset here as we study this concept. But we are going to look at the Antichrist as an individual also in scriptures and talk about that because he is mentioned by other names. So this means that the spirit of Antichrist cannot be limited to one single person. Now John says that no one who denies the Son has the Father, but that we must take knowledge for both the Son and the Father. We have to know both together. That's when we're talking about the Trinity. In fact, Early dividers in the church simply came and taught against the validity of Jesus being the Son of God. And that's where John even went on at times in other passages say, do you confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that he's the Son of God? This is a way that we can prove that we are not Antichrist. It's that simple. And so, in other words, anyone emulating the Christ or occupying a place of dominance in a religious as a religious leader that is exalted above Christ is in fact antichrist. And this can happen in many different parliaments. It could be the leader of a denomination. If, if a leader of a denomination or a governor of a religious system begins to be so highly exalted by the people that he presupposes the very edicts of God himself or that his right, see this is the birth of cults. When a leader says something contrary to the scriptures and he is so exalted that it is taken as a progressive or greater revelation. See, that's Antichrist. Then they follow that. And that is simply the children of Lucifer copying their father. Because what happened in eternity? Lucifer exalted himself. I will set my throne up in the heights. I will be like the Most High. And in his own self-exaltation, he found his eventual demise and expulsion. And Antichrist will just be another child of Lucifer. And will also inherit his father's inheritance of expulsion through eternity, which we know we don't, we're not there yet. That's the very last part of this message, the demise or the destiny of Antichrist. Of course, we already know as believers, he ends up in the lake of fire with everyone else whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. But for now, we see that anyone that emulates Christ tries to be like a Christ and is deified and people follow after it. And I say this about any prime minister, any leader, any president, I'm very careful. You know, I wouldn't call any individual. I'm not going to point and say that person is antichrist or an individual is antichrist, especially not while I'm online. So I'm going to be very careful about the things I say. But I will say this. If there is a character or an individual that does not outright confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and sees him as the highest authority, but takes an authority in their own decisive power to rule and reign, and allows people to exalt them to a high position, that is already Antichrist in operation. So that could be leader of a nation. That could be anyone. 
Somebody said, well, is Trump the Antichrist? I'm not saying that Trump is the Antichrist. Well, what about, you know, um, this leader of this country or this person? Well, it, I'm not saying any of them are beyond operating in the spirit of Antichrist. But are they the one that Jesus foretold and Daniel foretold and John talked about in the prophecies? Now, who's to say that? They're going to have to do, if, let's just say if it was a president of a nation, they're going to have to do a lot of things before I can say clearly, I think so. So we continue in our message as we're going along here. Uh, and we're going to look at one particular Antichrist. Certain uh, persons that rise to the scene of global domination and deceive nations. This is the individual that we call Antichrist in the Bible. That will usher in the end of the age, culminating in the judgment of God of the nations. There is a person who will be pretty much the catalyst for the deception of the entire earth. And this will be the child of Lucifer copying his father, the devil. And that is the definition of Antichrist, number one. Amen? So understanding that, we go on. Now let's look at number two, the description of Antichrist. Well, how would you describe Antichrist? Well, let's look at Revelation chapter 13. Which, by the way, Revelation chapter 13 and Daniel's chapter 7 and 8 and even into 11 are pretty much saying exactly the same thing. Their order is a little different. I was originally going to break down an analogy of the two or show you the connection of the two in a parallel, but it was just way too much. Uh, there's only have, only have an hour here, so if I went into it, we would need s several hours to go into the breakdown of it. I'm capable of doing it. Let's say that you say, you know what, Stephen, we would love to go through a protracted period of time with you learning about eschatology. That doesn't scare me at all. I'm a teacher. I can teach endlessly for hours and hours and weeks. We can do that, but I need to have people that are interested in such a thing. So we're going to go straight to Revelation and read this and only mention things later from Daniel. It says the dragon, this is chapter 13, verse 1, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? And who can wage war against it? So the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. It was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All those names um, have not, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Basically, when that's written in Scripture, it means you better pay really close attention to this. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword uh, they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. That's us. 
And I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free uh, and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark which is the name of the beast and the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. The number is 666. So now we all know this chapter. We see this, we hear these words, and we start thinking, wow, Stephen, what does all of that mean? I will tell you, I don't know. I will say, that it's pretty clear that it's talking about a series of people in relationships with one another empowered by demonic entities. So the beast, as one form here, is pretty much in these days, most of us are concluding that it's some form of artificial intelligence that will enable, by God's design, by the way, God's going to allow all this to happen, uh, it will cause this, these people to give power to something that I believe will be the birth of a sentient machine or AI, artificial intelligence. At this point, we throw the term AI around, but what is true AI, a, re a conscious machine, that is, we're still far from that, actually. Uh, they, yes, machines can learn now in a certain way that they work out problems through algorithms. Yes, they can repair things and do things, but really in what is the definition of a sentient being, we're still pretty far from that, but we're on our way. The only thing that would be able to cause that to happen would be God allowing it to happen, which is exactly what's going to take place, or at least the illusion of it will be so clear that people will believe. So we see a relationship here with what's called the beast and the Antichrist. So the Antichrist is the beast that comes and is connected to what is called the beast or the machine or the deity that is empowered. So it's a world leader uh, that will rise on the scene that, as most people agree through other passages that we're not going to go into every single passage, but Daniel chapter 7, 8 gives a very clear uh, depiction also of the same character we see here, and it talks about the one. Uh, Matthew 24, 3 says, As Jesus was sitting in the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, he said, um, uh, Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceive you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. This is how we will know Antichrist. He will make this declaration. He will make a direct declaration that he is the long-heralded deity that everyone has worshipped. 
he probably will do the same thing, taking, if you would, the image of perhaps uh, Allah, Muhammad, Buddha, all these things. This is where the idea of an, a form of ecumenalism that will evolve, that all of us will come into an amalgam of faith to accept the fact, you know what? We've all been worshiping the same God. That spirit is already active right now. How many of you confront that almost daily here in Singapore? I meet it everywhere. I preach the gospel many different places. I engage with taxi cab drivers, people in the Kopitiam, people at the fair price, wherever we talk. I end up preaching the gospel. Oh, I believe that. And they tell me what they believe. Consensus of opinion here is that there are many ways to God. So the ecumenalist antichrist spirit is already embedded in moving. You say, where is that coming from? Well, it's coming from the deception of media. It's coming from psychological thoughts, from books. It's being projected by teachers in every school. Most teachers that are in positions that have been educated have gone through the Greco-Roman system of, of uh, educational careers. And in that, they have been taught to believe what society believes. And right now, society is not naming a single deity. Society as a whole on the earth and the vast majority is declaring that there are many ways. So ecumenalism is not something coming. It's on us now. So that is the stage. If you can get people to believe that, and we can get someone to stand up and prove with signs and wonders that that is all true, and that they are the embodiment of all these deities in one, then the world as it is right now is already ready to bow to that. And so if there are advantages beyond just accepting that, like solving serious problems like the healing of cancer and the eradication of famine and all these things according to what we see in many passages all these things will be carried out by the Antichrist and that he will, he will be the knight in shining armor for the planet at this point he most certainly I think as the world is bowing to the absolute fear that it the climate change and what has happened on earth is about to end everything. Um, I'm not going to get into creationism. I'm not going to get into the depths of the fact that in actuality the science is not there and that it is not proven, but a lot of it is just conjecture by people. You might be here tonight, well, no, it's obvious. The global warming is happening and we've emitted these CO CO2 gases and because of that, all of that is very limited perspectives. Actual geological record of the earth shows that the trend that we're currently in has happened hundreds of times. It is an oscillation of the weather patterns. And that's all the people who are not believing in climate change are saying, no, we believe the climate is changing. The question isn't whether or not it's changing, but why? Because it is a natural process of the way that the earth works. And it can be proven in the geological record. If you take stratum samples in marshes, for instance, going back hundreds and hundreds of years, you can see the record. It's very clearly deposited in silt. Uh, you can depict, or it depicts the temperatures, the highs and lows of those years. We're just in a cycle. It's just we've not recorded meteorological information before, only for the last 150 years or so. So as a result, we don't have records of what happened before then. So remember, now, now I'm not trying to convince you not to believe that we need to use special light bulbs and not use plastic bags. And that's neither here nor there as far as I'm concerned. I'm just saying he, Antichrist, is going to use whatever tools he can. Let's just say that he creates some big thing and says that he is going to solve global warming. And all this is enacted and placed on the earth as smoke and mirrors that happens to coincide with the 
rise of this pattern that brings a balance again. It would appear that he has brought the solution. This will be the same for many other things too. And that brings us into number three, the delusion of Antichrist. Now Paul is writing the church in, in Thessalonia. So he's telling the Thessalonians this in Thessalonica. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether um, by uh, prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. So he's identifying, Paul is identifying here, sources of dogma that will play into the delusion of Antichrist as a start. Letters as books, things that are written, that we read. Of course, we have the sum total of all human knowledge now available in our handphones. You have an iPhone in your hand, and you can download the Library of Congress into that thing in minutes. I mean, you have the whole, all the information is there. Has it made us any smarter? Not really. In fact, it's dummied us up quite a bit because now we don't have to know things because the phone knows. So we're giving in pretty easily to this whole system that's coming. And we are becoming so dependent upon technology that when there is some form put in place of the monetization or the use of money being connected to technologies, we're helpless. Absolutely helpless. You know, no one's running around with little gold bags, sacks of coins on their, on their waist like they used to. We have banks. Why I don't, I don't carry money. I have an Apple Watch. I just touch it on things and it pays for stuff. Of course, it's coming out of an account. But all that's in place to play into this delusion. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now here he's being referred to as the man of lawlessness. The man doomed to destruction. So, so Paul is specifically, notice that the, the writings in Revelation that describe Antichrist refuse to even call him uh, a human. It's the beast. It does not refer to it, but it is a spirit that's working. But here, it's very clear that it is a man who will rise. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? Which means the early church was regularly hearing about these concepts. And now you know that it that what is holding him back so that you may be revealed or that he may be revealed at the proper time. There is a time that he will be revealed. I do want to say this. We will not know it until it is known. And later we'll get into that fact. Part of this delusion is a lack of real clear information. And also says that the prophecies of the book of Daniel have been sealed up until the time of the end. Which means we don't have an understanding of it. And we can read it, and I can read it to you here tonight, and we can look through it. I'm not going to go in-depth into it because it is clearly saying until the time is actually upon us, we will not gain a spiritual interpretation of it. So if, if you subscribe to many different eschatologists around the world, um, uh, uh, um, eschatologists, I'm sorry, those who are in it, eschatologists, the hair, then mine. I used to be one, so that's why I got it mixed up. If you're subscribing to different theologians that are teaching eschatology, and they are teaching these principles, and they've got it all figured out, I will clearly say it's not possible. 
None of them can. It's healthy to have many different perspectives because we're not yet in the time. When they all agree, and it's clear, put your seatbelts on because Jesus is about to walk through the door. I mean, that's how close we are. But we will be ready. You will not be left in the dark is the promise that we get from the Scripture. So this delusion will come. Let's skip down um, to verse 9. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. How does Satan work? He works through deception. You won't die if you eat the fruit. That's how he's always worked. So he will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. This is interesting. It means there is a turning of the tide that's coming. That on the, the very nature of God and God himself is giving people a chance. And we're coming to that point that they are given opportunity. The gospel is spreading across the earth like never before because of the internet. Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ was the greatest declaration of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ ever witnessed on planet earth. More people, they, they pretty much asked more people have come to know Jesus by that movie than anything else. That movie was being watched in Yemen. That movie was being watched in Saudi Arabia. And it is a very clear picture of who Jesus is. So the gospel pretty much has been preached in all the earth. I see men on the back of oxen with iPhones cruising the internet in India. I mean, it, every, everywhere. So that part, you used to say, well, when this gospel's preached, then the Lord will return. I think we're there. I think we're right. There are some very small pockets that I've studied and I'm interested in reaching. And you have isolated places like North Korea, where they are restricted and held back. But still, even there, the knowledge of Christ is there. Uh, you have places like Iran. You'd say, well, Iran is very anti-Christian. Actually, it has the, the most rapid development of Christianity than any nation in the world right now. And statistically, right now, Iran, more people are getting saved there by percentage than any place on the earth, which is incredible. God's going to work where he has to work. The gospel's spreading like wildfire. But now there's going to come a time when the tide turns. And if people have not accepted truth and believed it, they will be held from a moment onward, by a very, of actually a spirit of delusion from God himself, that black will be white and white will be black and they will never see the truth. What a horrible thing to think, right? But it says this spirit will be given. But they're given every opportunity. Given every opportunity. Remember the parables that Jesus taught. You say, well, that's not grace. I'm not preaching grace here tonight. I'm preaching antichrist. They're, they shut the door and those that were not coming in because they did not have the oil in their lamps, they were not allowed to come in. There are things and mistakes that can be made. Names can be blotted out of the book, it says. Scary thoughts. I do not teach hyper grace. I think we can mess this up. I think we do need to be ready. We do need to be prepared. We do need to understand that if we do not believe wholeheartedly early on and really go into the scriptures and take everything, then we stand a chance of being deluded by this delusion of antichrist that is rising. So that those will be condemned for not having believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. They go to number four, and we're almost done here. These next ones are much shorter. The desolation of Antichrist. Now we know that he is going to be destructive. 
says in Matthew 24, 15, So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not Believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. Jesus made this so clear about this desolation, this destruction that is going to take place. And I am of the firm belief that before we get to this place, we will be taken off the earth. We will be raptured. And I'm ready for that. I'm also prepared, however, that if I'm left here, fine. If I end up getting beheaded for my, for my faith, I just say, please let me sharpen your sword before you start. I don't want one of those hack jobs. I want you to have a razor sharp sword and get it over with, which is okay. I'm okay with that. I had one of my disciples recently write me a very encrypted letter because he's preaching the gospel in a place where his life is in danger. He said, pray for me because this, and it's so funny because it's like trying to read code, but I, don't even, I can't even discern where he is. But uh, there are people, there are places on earth right now you can be beheaded as is happening. But in this particular case, desolation will be full scale under Antichrist. And it will cover, Jesus called it the abomination that causes desolation. The abomination of a man taking the place of God and sitting on the throne of God in Jerusalem saying, I am the Messiah, will cause such, a, such an onslaught of wickedness and a release of darkness and I won't go into all the passages, but basically God is going to take his hands off the earth. And the very spirit of conviction itself will rise. The spirit will retreat. And I do not want to live on an earth without the Holy Spirit actively involved. You realize the Holy Spirit is working constantly for us, restricting and limiting people and stopping things from happening. And if he were gone, the anarchy, the chaos, that will be the great tribulation. That's the desolation that Antichrist will bring. But this is good news for us. Number five, the destiny of Antichrist. Revelation 17, 7. And the angel said to me, uh, Who or why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth whose names has not, or whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will wonder why they see the beast that he was and is and will not come. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And someone said, what does that mean, Stephen? I'm not going to tell you. I, I have great ideas about what it means and I've read a lot of things I just don't want to get any political trouble just know that you're not going to be held to this you're not going to be in this trap but it will help us understand as it 
plays out exactly what's going on, how it's going on. But we're looking at the destiny here that no matter what he does, no matter what happens, this is what we see, Revelation 19, um, 11. And we read this scripture and we're going to stop there. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on the white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which the wrath, um, which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come gather together for the great supper. Of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty of, uh, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. So we know that they're all going to come against Jesus. All the armies we know will gather. But I just want to say this. We're going to go straight down. Um, nobody knows exactly when Antichrist will come. And uh, people often are interested in messages like this because they think somebody has a date. I remember in 1988 when I was a young believer, somebody wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. And, and we read it, and it was very convincing. There were truly 88 reasons. Like, we were so convinced. But I was thinking, you know, there's just so many things that haven't happened yet. But people in the church, some of the churches, and a couple in our own church, believed it so much they started liquidating their assets and taking their kids out of school. And I mean, just crazy things. And see, that's why the elect can be deceived. Because anybody can just come up with a theory. Just know this. Nobody's going to figure it out, as I said earlier, until it's actually upon us. All we need to do is know that it is possible and it can happen at any moment. See, otherwise, if we knew the hour that the thief would come and steal, we would not allow the goods to be spoiled. We would be that Jesus wants us to be ready constantly. If he told you exactly the date and the time, you can live like the devil all you want, all the way up, and then in the last minute, he's not going to let that happen. So he leaves us to wonder. About that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. It says, it says like it was in the days of Noah. Those people didn't know, and suddenly it just started raining. Suddenly the wells of the deep were broken up, and water come. They were not warned. All they saw was a crazy man building a ship on dry land. That's all they knew. So it is how many people see Christianity today. Many people see our belief system that way. They laugh. It's just this foolish thing, but we're building an ark of faith and belief, and we will be safely in it. Hopefully we'll get other people to come along with us before the end actually comes. So let's just surmise the things we saw. The Antichrist, five things about, we're going to go straight down there. Five things about the Antichrist. The definition we saw, uh, which is a spirit as much as it is an individual, or any individual through which the spirit operates. But there is a specific man that will rise, yes. But we have the anointing of God to guard us against the 
deception or the delusion of Antichrist. That was number three. And number four, the desolation. There will be vast destruction, but I rest in the idea that he is going to take us. And then number five, the destiny of Antichrist. Of course, it's the lake of fire. Same as the devil. When we stand on our feet, I want us to pray. As we do, we're going to read one more scripture together in prayer. Matthew chapter 24. This is that same chapter where Jesus was speaking uh, to, to the people about, or the disciples about the end times when they asked him, how will we know what will take place? This is his conclusion to tell them. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, you must be ready. Soberly tell them, I know it's silly. You warn them, hey, you must, George, you must be ready. I think we need to, is, is we need to encourage each other. We need to provoke each other to good works and to understanding this. We must be ready. Why? Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. It's interesting that His birth was at a time that was not expected. We just celebrated at Christmas. Jesus was born at a time. There's no way that Mary and Joseph were expecting it. Otherwise, they would have made better plans. In the same way that Jesus was born, he will return. And we don't know when that is. Will we restore the kingdom to us now? They asked him right before he ascended into heaven. He says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. We just need to be ready. A long time ago, I learned in my home church a very important principle. The pastor taught us, look, Jesus could be coming back tomorrow. And I would get frightened and he said, but he also could delay a thousand years. But live every day as if both were true. Make plans and strategies for your future. Make strategies on how you can serve God and give your life and sacrifice for Him. That's our reasonable service. Offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. But make sure that you're ready today. I'm ready right now. Just based on the worship we had a moment ago. I'm ready. Let's go. Come on in, Jesus. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. I'm ready to sail away. It is not going to break my heart when I have to leave this cesspool. And that's exactly how I see her. And I have a lot of blessings. I have beautiful children. I have grandchildren. I have, God has taken such good care of us. But I have tasted of heaven. I have been made partakers of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. This, this place has nothing to offer to me anymore. And if you can get in that place where you know the power of God and you have that intimacy with Him, then none of these issues will matter to you live your life so deeply and intimately in love with Jesus and it's all that will matter to you. Amen? So let's pray. Father, help us to be ready. Guard us. Protect us. Stand over us. Thank you, Lord, that you're always watching us. You are our intercessor. Pray for us, Lord. Pray for us, Lord. Plead our cause. You plead our cause. You right our wrongs. You do all these things for us. I want us to sing the chorus to that song and end with that as we pray and we're going to have our time of fellowship. You plead my cause You right my wrongs You break my chains
of high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Right now, in this very moment, you are praying. You're watching over us. We have not been deceived. We believe the truth. We have not refused the truth, but we have refused the lie. And as the lie evolves and even turns into Antichrist in this earth, we're not afraid because the truth is so real to us. And we pray, Lord, that as real as it is to us, it would be through us and we can take us many souls with us as we can as we move along the time is short the hour is coming of your return and Lord we want all of our friends and all of our family to know you and to be with you we want all of our associates to have their names written in the Lamb's book of life if anything we gain from understanding these things let it be a fervent spirit of evangelism let it be a desire to go and tell everybody that the time is coming to an end Jesus, thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We have an unction from the Holy One. We don't need anyone to teach us about what is Antichrist and what is not because we will clearly know by the discerning of your Spirit. And we all confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, the Son of God. We thank you, Lord. Sing one more time. You plead my cause. Let me pray for you. You right my wrong. Break my chains, you overcome. You gave your life to give me mine. You say that I am free. How can it be? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, we thank you for this day, for this uh, message we've received. We ask that you would put it in our hearts. There's no way we could cover all the information we need to do in such a short period of time. But we're thinking, we're learning. Lord, bless our time of fellowship now. You bless our bread, you bless our water, you take sickness out of our midst. And as we eat together, we remember the body and the blood of Jesus. We remember the sacrifice that was made for us. We're not ignorant about that. We know we're not going to fall asleep prematurely. We're not going to die early because we know you are our healing you are our strength. So Lord, bless this time of fellowship. 
We're grateful for it, Lord. I'm grateful for you in Jesus' name. And if you agree, say amen. Let's give one more hand clap of praise to him.